Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at Mike C Tennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... Our guest this week going to be Philip Pelibo. That talk is coming up very shortly. Noah Rubin, I believe you're in Minneapolis right now. I am. I am. Ah, you're going to go about. to the the qualifier, the the men's national team qualifier against Honduras. Honduras, yes, yes. I don't know if Honduras has ever seen a temperature like they're going to see tomorrow night. But um, yes, I. It's been five weeks since I have seen my lovely girlfriend who has the Navli. Huge shout out to her. That's some boards again for. I, uh, I, I thought that was something from like J.R.R. Tolkien. She passed the Nalki. <laughs> Navli. And um, so I'm here. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long trip, man. It's been a long trip. You, you reached, what was it, the quarters last week? Semis. 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 I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's very good. That's really good. <laughs> well, I, I keep making the joke, but I keep realizing it's actually not a joke and it's not a hyperbole. I have now played nearly 2x the amount of matches I played last year yes. in just the month of January. Um, I believe I'm at 14 matches, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it's a change. Yes. That's, if anything else, it's just a huge change for me. And I threw myself into the deep end. Going to South America obviously would have liked some of those matches back got a little few more points but you know to be where i am then to put myself in a mental place to play qualifying of a future push through that um yeah the seventh match on my no days off in seven days got a little tired body wasn't there but yeah it's uh definitely a change so it's <laughs> it feels weird almost yeah no it's been it's been good you know I, I i'm sure you're still getting uh death threats and death threats to your family on on instagram from time to time but i, I i've definitely seen on uh a twitter a, a good amount of positive reaction to you grinding and battling a little bit um so so congrats on that yeah no i, I think i think people are whether you love me or love to hate me, I think you enjoy seeing me out on the court and not sure what to expect when I get out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to take advantage of any opportunities, which are very seldom at this point. 
Uh, let's see. I'm actually going to go down this Sunday, uh, weather permitting, as we're getting it. We're part of the, in here in Tulsa, part of the massive storm that's going through uh, the center of the country. So weather permitting, I'm going to sneak down on Sunday to watch a little bit of qualifying at the Dallas Open. So if you are there, uh, you know, hopefully we can meet up. I'm, I'm going to try to see our, our good friend, Mr. Eubanks. Uh, Liam Brody will be there. Uh, going to harass them just a little bit. I'm going to go try to see Grand Slam champion Nick Kyrgios, which is just really a thing that happened. Yeah, well, we'll see if he shows up. So. That's a that's a valid point. He's been doing uh, the media rounds down in Australia, um, responding to comments that he's a knob. Um, <laughs> and and something happened with he and Max Purcell afterwards too yeah. that I don't I don't. God, I gotta investigate that one a little bit deeper. Uh, I don't think we do. Um, our guest this week is a guy named Philip Pellivaux. The name at one time, he was probably one of the best junior players of all time. Uh, won a couple of Grand Slams at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open in 2012, along with reaching the finals at the Australian and the French. Has dealt with some injury and illness woes over the last couple of years, ranking right now right around the 400 mark as he just turned 28 a couple days ago. And after our spot here for Athletic Greens, our talk with Philip Pellivo. Well, making a repeat appearance on the podcast, he he did a podcast with me after winning the Knoxville Challenger. Gosh, was that 2017? Is that right? 2017? Yeah, end of the year 2017. Been a bit. Uh, Philip Pellivo. Philip, welcome. Where where are you right now? You were unfortunately with Mr. Rubin last week in Weston, Florida. So where are you this week? <laughs> yeah, it's a big drag having to see his face again. But it's tough. Um, I'm in plantation. I'm still still in uh, my training base, recent training base, and uh, just going to get started on some more tournaments pretty soon, hopefully. I love how we say like he was on the podcast. You, that wasn't a podcast when you had you just you just drank a little coffee and you pressed the record button. Like, please come on. Um, but Mr. Philippe, uh, tell us. Yeah, I mean, you said this is a recent new training base. Kind of run us through the process since you last spoke to Mr. Cation. You know where you are now, training wise, feeling wise, and uh, we'll go into the rest. Okay. Uh... Quite a lot has happened since then. <laughs> um, obviously, I was back with uh, Fred Meyer, mainly based in Montreal, back at that time. Uh, fast forward about, let me think, like a year and a half, two, two years. Um, still around the same ranking. Uh, dropped by Tennis Canada, went out on my own for a couple of years, and uh, last year spent well during COVID I was in Vancouver for the most part um doing what I could do there had a surgery on my foot um came back in March of 2021 maybe March April got COVID in my first tournaments back which congrats lost about 13 yeah. pounds in three days <laughs> uh lungs went down to about 40 percent wow. body fat was like 20 percent below minimum so I was I was pretty smashed up um and it took me a bit to get it back i actually just got back now to like a good weight about like mm. 165 i was about like 148 which for good me gravy is pretty bad yeah um and yeah just started speaking with uh caesar castaneda who was actually my first coach back when i uh moved to montreal and started working with tennis canada 
and uh, that didn't last too long because uh, I think his contract wasn't renewed because there were just too many coaches for the amount of players that we had. But it was good, and we always kept in touch. And uh, this, we, we reconnected and figured that we should uh, try to work together again and been based out here as of around Christmas time. So, uh, so far, offseason has been good. But again, uh, got hit with a little bit of a flu, so I might have to push back the tournaments by week. Yeah, it, it feels like that's kind of been a, a little bit of a um, just kind of a theme for you for the last couple of years. I know you had the hamstring issue in 2019 as well yeah. as you were heading right towards the Rogers Cup. I believe if memory serves, you were going to be getting a, a, a main draw wild card. Is, is that right, 2019? That's, that's what I was told. Um, and just kind of a little accident on court, tore the hamstring a bit and basically came back just enough to be on court yeah like qualies but i mean i maybe had two days training after a month off so i wasn't really ready and it took me about another month or two to get good again so i was a little unlucky but i mean what can you do that's kind of what happens when you're like pushing 100 percent, scrapping out on the court it was during a practice too but i mean as noah i'm sure <laughs> can tell you it's very difficult to turn the knob down from 100 to <laughs> to choose which shots not to go for and which ones to, to take, right? So so you're saying me running after a drop shot that strong Kirschheimer hits in a practice <laughs> set before a future is probably not ideal before I break my ankle in half? Might not be the best idea, but you'd probably be a little bit upset at yourself if you don't run for it too, right? So. It is, yeah. It's kind of a lose-lose, but I definitely lost-lost from that one. <laughs> so is your ankle actually feeling pretty bad after that i didn't get to see yeah, you after. So that, no that was actually in um this uh, past february and oh, okay. i was out for about three and a half months from that one so oh, that was geez, a fun okay one. so that was before yeah that was before you have a before. common theme of ankle problems now and he yeah, and he I, wouldn't I, wear a brace for years despite really? that yeah a really intelligent guy i'm honestly very surprised that you don't get like the the ones, the flexible ASO ones, because that's uh, that's what I've used for years, and it's saved me so many times. So your ankles are okay by with wearing yeah, a brace? Well, that's, that's weird. Yeah, who who would have thought I that you're not gonna it. have ankle I issues if you head if you wear so braces? <laughs> I look at it and I'm furious. Um, I'm ending this conversation. So you know, <laughs> so we did. Yes, we actually did spend uh, some time together recently in Weston and. Wow, what an interesting practice setup it was, but we had uh, four players on the court, uh, myself and you, Louis Vessels of Germany as well was there. And, you know, we were playing around, we we're having fun. You know, I don't think we've spent that much time in the court recently, so it was kind of nice to get out there. Yeah. And um, you brought up, you know, us competing in juniors. And if anybody knows your name, they know your pedigree and what you did as a basically a junior world champion. I mean, there's not many players that have had uh, more of a resume than yourself as, uh, as an ITF player. Um, and we kind of spoke about, I mean, you brought it up and asked a question. I thought you were joking initially and, and cause it was kind of mid practice and you said, Noah, seriously, like what was I doing at that point in time that you saw that was different from other players. And we kind of got into this whole conversation. Um, but before we get into that, yeah, describe kind of your passageway from juniors, from being Mr. Pelly, you know, at the top of junior tennis uh, and then migrating to professional tennis and that kind of transition for you. 
Well, obviously, hard not to have expectations coming out after a year like that. Um, try to keep a level head to make sure I just keep doing the same work and, and don't get uh, comfortable uh, and just think that I've got it made now. Um, but yeah, I, I expected to, to, to jump a little bit faster than I did. I got a really good first year out of juniors around 250, won my first match in a master's beating a guy top 40. It was Neiman and I think at the time, and it's a couple of games from playing Djokovic as well, uh, in the third round. So just missed out on that a bit, but overall, like a very positive first year, um, moved to Spain, started working out with, with coach there. And just in general, I think some of the mistakes I may have made over the years of just having too many voices telling me different things about what my game should look like and in the process eventually kind of losing the identity I had in juniors, which was, I mean, as we spoke about just being really mentally tough there all the time, wearing guys out, uh, having good ball striking, but not necessarily hitting it the biggest like a Kyrgios or something, but just really putting so much pressure not making mistakes, choosing the right shots to attack and choosing the right shots to counterattack and just mentally wearing guys out to push them as hard as they can and, and still beating them two and two and them having to kind of figure out whether or not they want to stay in there and not have a big reward out of it or just go out and go for stupid shots or just go for everything. And uh, I think I had a big mental advantage over those guys in juniors. And I kind of pushed that into the pros at, at the beginning, but once the confidence went down, uh, I lost track of what my game was. I was kind of going be between, I think, playing aggressive, too aggressive, and then between playing too passive, uh, just all over the place a little bit. And so obviously once the confidence goes, the trust in your game goes, you have some health issues, which I had plenty of uh, over the years. <laughs> Uh, it all kind of adds up and it takes a long time to kind of uh, jump back to where you were. And I think I was there for a bit when I last spoke to Mike uh, during the Knoxville Challenger. I kind of brought that game back and, and kind of found that identity and and uh, was on the right track. And then again, obviously, here we are today. But uh, it's a quite a long story, but um, sure we can get into it a little in a little bit more detail <laughs> so so what did what did Noah tell you and and what do you think of what he said when you when you did ask him that question well I think he kind of hit the nail on the head of what I remember I was just curious how it felt from his end because mm. obviously you see how and, and you have an idea of what kind of presence you're projecting to the opponent but uh basically what Noah said is that he came into the match uh, expecting to be able to step in like he did against Anishioka, for example, and just go through the court and really take his chances and be able to push me off the court and win with those balls. And he said he wasn't able to. Um, it was on clay, but uh, basically I was just too solid from the back. And as soon as he gave me a ball that was weaker, I would punish him. But I wasn't forcing the issue, basically. Like I was patient enough to to stay in the rally and hitting the ball well enough where he wasn't able to really just put it away. And he didn't feel like he was uh, going to get any reward from grinding it out and, and uh, mentally, physically just uh, pushing it all uh, to stay in the point and, and wait and wait and wait and still lose two and two, basically. Uh, that's kind of what I took away from it. And just basically the fact that I was, uh, more mature in, in a lot of ways, shot selection wise and 
and just composure wise than a lot of the other players who maybe sometimes hit harder than me in some ways, but uh, made a lot of the wrong choices on court and some big points would give free points or just make the wrong choices. Whereas at the time, I wasn't really making a lot of the wrong choices on court. You you and I, when we talked in, in 2017, we talked about, I, I, I mentioned this, I saw you in, in Lexington 2013, you made the semifinals then and that was very soon after yeah. you know leaving juniors and i remember you after every single point philip walking around in a circle like <laughs> like that that frenetic energy you had yeah. and i guess part of me wonders now um you know as this evolution has continued to happen for you do you think you were playing kind of an on an on an edge kind of need to be on an edge where you have that frenetic energy to be able to impose your will on a court yeah it's definitely one of those things that if you're playing just under that limit it brings out your best tennis and for me at the very least if I have that intensity I think less mm. I just the decisions come quicker and I'm able to to play the game a lot faster without taking big risks so with the footwork intensity and just positioning on the ball, I can put a lot of pressure on these guys playing that way. And, and to keep up that intensity, my fitness was always good enough to do it. Um, obviously, the problem is if you go over the top, then you start to get too agitated, too upset, or just too excited and, and, and intense and, and making some of the wrong decisions, maybe pulling the trigger too quickly. and and uh, Or you, you can tie yourself out too, but... Um, for the most part, I've always been a guy that has pretty high ideal intensity for, for my game. So definitely better for me to do that than to be too, too sleepy, too, too calm. And <laughs> I've never, I've had a few matches maybe where just, you, you know, those days where you're zoning, you don't have to really overforce yourself, but for the most part, um, if I stay too calm, it, it doesn't bring out my best game. One topic uh, I want to bring up, and it kind of goes back to your junior days a bit, but uh, name recognition. You know, it's something I actually saw for myself for the first time in a while in some of the earlier matches I played at the Futures where maybe they're saying Noah Rubin, like, oh, God, and you can get those free points. You, you know, you have that, which, you know, is, is a nice thing. And I think with you, with seeing your name in the draw, especially in the junior days, A, we, we knew the maturity level. We knew what we were going to get as an opponent we, we were probably going into those matches, love 30 down on most of these games, just because of the, <laughs> you know, the mental that we were in. So yeah. for you, you know, going into the pros and playing these higher levels of challengers and that, and then masters 1000s, you know, unless you're playing a top 10 guy, let's say, or a top 20 guy, that, that stuff doesn't really work in the pros anymore. Was that a difficult entryway where people just, didn't give a shit kind of thing, you know, about your name and what you brought to it. They're like, Oh, you're in the pros. Like, you know, welcome. Yeah. You know, I think the experience I had actually in many cases, sorry, I'm just going to move this um, was a little bit the opposite where obviously people had heard about me at the very least, maybe they didn't really care, but at the same time, they, they wanted to be the guy who was mm. supposedly like put the junior in his place sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. I think that's how I saw it. And when they saw the kind of intensity I brought and the level that I brought, that it wasn't just a, a fluke of playing juniors, but not being ready to play pros. Cause I felt that I was capable of, of, of putting that level out in the pros. Um, they would freak out a little bit. So, you know, it's, it's different when you're 
18, 19, going out into the pros. And, and then when you're 25, 26, people look at it a little differently. And at the beginning, maybe they don't care, but when they start losing, then it gets in their head and they get more upset than usual. And I think, uh, especially them not really knowing my game as much, they're a little bit surprised by a lot of things. Me not being necessarily like a 6-5 bomb server, still being able to go out and, and, and hit them off the court and, and, and hit a good shot. Uh, with good power, uh, a lot of times it, it surprised them. That was one of the most common things that I would hear from those guys is that they, they were surprised by how hard I could hit the ball, how, how easily, how loose I, I had the arm. And uh, they would freak out a little bit about that. And eventually, obviously, that sort of name recognition fades a little bit uh, once they get to know you. But I think uh, it goes both ways. Obviously, like they don't care, but at the same time, like I said, once once things aren't going their way, they, they start to worry a little bit more than against the guy they've seen for years out there. I want to take you to where you are now. Uh, by the way, a happy birthday two days ago. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, you. we missed it. 20, oh, 28 no. now. Okay. Uh, I pretty much missed it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> you get to an age uh, where, where I am where you just try to blank them out. So, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm 67 <laughs> years old now, Philip. So that's, that's weird. Um you you I have. I thought you were seventy eight. Yeah, I know. I look good for seventy eight. Yeah, 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 you look really good. For <laughs> <laughs> um, the the last the last obviously two years, it, it's been incredibly challenging for all of us on, on a personal level. Um, you have been at that rankings point, Philip, where opportunities have been very hard to come by. Um, you haven't had an opportunity to play in the main draw of a challenger since pre-COVID, if, if tennis abstract yeah. is, is right. Um, you are 28 now. Um, mm -hmm. it, 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 it's pretty clear you, you're coming to a good understanding of, of who you are um, and, yeah. and, and what you are as, as a tennis player now. Um, and I guess I, I want to know how you are, are viewing what's in front of you um, and, and how, how you look at what opportunities are, are there and how you get to what you know you're capable of? It's um, a good question. Uh, obviously, the last two years have been tough, as you said, for everybody. Um, before COVID, I was pretty regular in main draw challengers. Yeah. And as soon as I came back, I had to start out actually with futures either not being seated or actually played a 25k in Prague being ranked at the time, I think 330 or 40. And I was like nine in qualies or something. Mm. So uh, definitely a bit of a change and, and it's a grind having to, to play these lower tournaments that don't have a big reward with a lot of guys that are actually very good. Yes. Um, I feel the level of, of uh, competition is a lot deeper than, than it was even a few years ago at that level. Uh, so Obviously, I know that the road back to where I want to be and, and higher is, is a lot longer and more difficult, I think, than, than maybe in the past. But I, you, you guys know me. I, I've always been a pretty positive guy. I, yes. I trust in my abilities. I know where I can be. And it's not like I'm trying to do this for the first time. I've been in this position before where uh, things are not looking great. I've had some injury trouble. My ranking dropped. And... and I put in the work to get back to where I need to be. And you won uh, Knoxville I, as a qualifier. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of set off a good chain of, uh, after a good year of futures, it set off a chain of good results at challengers and, and some other 
some other uh, good streaks. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I obviously I'd rather be up there right now, but I, I, I don't doubt that I'll make it back up again. And, and I think the road back is the most difficult part. Once you're up there a little bit, it's a little bit easier, I think, to stay up there and make that jump if you have one or two good events. Uh, I think once you get that momentum and the rewards are a lot higher once you do well at those events. Just for now, I obviously have to win a lot to, to make any moves. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm always motivated to, to put in that work. And uh, in a way, like I look at some of the breaks I've had due to injuries and, and whatever other health issues as a somewhat positive in a way that maybe I haven't been beat up as much as some of those guys that are playing 35 weeks a year uh every single year so i i kind of look at it as giving me a little bit of extra time to to push so we did a, a pod a couple of weeks ago about um atp chairman andrea gadenzi's comments about the idea that uh challengers and and lower are kind of like a university and you're supposed to graduate um i i I, we were obviously, uh, as guys who have been around it for for a couple of yeah. years, we had we had our thoughts. But it, it seems like you're you're a good example of this, though, Philip. I mean, it, it's not like everybody is able to get through in two or three years and automatically have the success. Things yeah. kind of come in waves, and also you you know you're. It sounds like you're just coming into who you are as a person at this this stage of your life. Yeah, some people they know very early on exactly who they are as a person, as a player. I'd say they're exceptions. You can't, you can't base the system off of the exception of one or two people like a Felix or a Dennis or a Zverev or something, you know, um, obviously they're, they're fun to watch, but you can't, you can't expect everyone to do that. And I think, uh, you have to be able to help out everyone else or at least give them an opportunity to, to, build themselves as a player as a person and, and without having to have that extra pressure the financial pressure obviously is not great but also the pressure of having to have results otherwise you, you basically don't feel like you're getting anywhere and then having the guy at the top of the atp tell you that you're not a good player if you're playing futures basically you don't deserve to be a pro sort of thing you know that's basically what i remember this, the the reasoning behind the transition tour and the lowering of the points was. I, we don't ever talk about the transition tour. We just black that out. That <laughs> entire just out of the it's, way. It's, yeah, that's, that's, that's just a, a blip that, that doesn't exist. Okay. Yeah. So I I think that um, obviously maybe in the eighties or the nineties the satellite tour wasn't as strong as as maybe it is now, mm. but times have changed. Like there's a lot more players that are willing to put in the work. Uh, there's a lot of science behind the physical aspect behind even just the tennis aspect behind scheduling behind recovery behind everything, you know? So everyone is able to beat a high level player. You go to the futures and on any given day, someone can go out and bring out the kind of tennis that can take out someone who's in the top hundred. And you, you see it pretty often. And, yep. uh, to, not give away to really at the very least sustain yourself and give yourself a, a true opportunity to to push for however long it it takes to get to where you need to be is it's a bit tough you know like a lot of people i've seen i've seen people quit the game at 200 or 250 
because they're running out of money. I mean, one comes to mind, it was Jamie Baker. And I, I think mm. I was the last match he had when I read his, his article afterwards, I put two and two together and I was the last guy he played in 2013. And, uh, I looked up to the guy. I thought he was great. I saw him play Roddick at Wimbledon. I saw him play a really good match. And, and at the time he was like, like I said, he was probably like 230, 40, 250, yep. something like this. And for someone like that, who's a great player, to have to hang hang his rackets up and go into something else, not maybe at the peak of his game, but at a very high level, it, it shows that there's something fundamentally off about how the sport is structured. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely can make some changes that are that are uh, desperately needed for some of these players. This. Uh, positivity of yours is it real <laughs> uh, 50 percent out of curiosity and 50 percent because mike and i don't actually know what positivity looks like so you it's, know it's, it's... you can talk yourself into a hole if you're if you're on a podcast that complains about everything right <laughs> we only live in a hole <laughs> but, but uh, i know yeah. how it is it's it's, it's easy to uh to find uh, negative things to talk about. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it, I'm, I'm like everybody. I, I've always had my ways of positive uh, times and obviously the negative times where maybe I wasn't as uh, upbeat about what's happening, but there's always the, the fundamental sort of belief or at the very least understanding that I'm not making things better by being negative or worrying. So while some of the negative emotions or, or worrying or stress is quite often there, I, I, I try to outweigh it by being positive. That's just who I am, I guess, a little bit. And I don't know, like you guys see on the court, it's, I'm a pretty high energy guy. So you are. Life is a lot more fun, I think, if, if, if you try to see the bright side, as cliche as it is. So. All right, we'll, we'll both work on that. Uh, a couple <laughs> couple quick questions. First first for both of you, um, I, I think a lot of fans might just want to know, um, you guys were both in, in Weston last week. Were you guys watching the Australian Open? A little bit, but not too much. Um, obviously, with the time change, it's tough. But at the same time, uh, at this point, it's also nice to have a little break from the game sometimes like I keep an eye on the matches and keep an eye on the highlights but I'm not uh, religiously following it never heard of it <laughs> uh, especially, especially when we're not there it's, it's a little yeah, yeah I, I had real FOMO of it the, I've missed yeah. the last couple of years so it's been really FOMO, hard without a doubt I mean I woke up saw Kyrgios and Kokonakis one thought it was a joke um <laughs> literally thought it was like the onion and then and then yeah I did watch the fifth set of uh of the finals, so I yeah. mean the fact that the fact that uh, Nick Kyrgios is fighting with both Michael Venus and Max Purcell is just just Wait, really that, blowing that, that, my mind. <laughs> if, if we would have uh, spoken about this a few years ago when Max was in the challengers and Michael Venus was was just coming out of singles, trying to focus on doubles, right. and That they would be playing together with Max. I mean, that, the, it sounds like a complete satirical headline all a mess <laughs> um i i want to like it but... i do too i i, I was enthralled uh, i want to obviously vancouver um i i miss going to vancouver every year for the first couple of years of of my work uh, the vancouver challenger was a joint event yeah. usta and tennis canada 
I would be remiss if you didn't get to to speak a little bit about your hometown challenger, which is best one of the best uh, worldwide year in year out. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful event. Unfortunately, I don't think I've ever even won one match there. Uh, I'm not even kidding. I don't think I've won one match, even though I, I had plenty of opportunities to do so. Um, I do remember there was that one year when it was a USDA event that the Canadian side of the tournament gave wild cards to Tipsarovich and someone else. And Tipsarovich used the wild card, but didn't even actually play. He pulled out. So they ended up giving it to Lucky Loser spot. So myself and Phil Bester played each other first round of qualies. And so two Vancouver guys that should have <laughs> probably been, I, I missed out by the main draw by not too much. And uh, I ended up being, I remember up five, one in the first, I lost that set and ended up losing like six, four in the third or something like that. And yeah, I don't know. I just, the mix of having my parents around and then eventually yeah. the pressure of that I put on myself for wanting to win in the hometown. I don't know. I just never, never brought out like the best game. There. Noah can and, tell you uh, stories about the open, my friend. I'm sure. <laughs> I will it, like puts me into a daze when you say the word. <laughs> Philip, my, my favorite memory of, of the Vancouver challenger. I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast. Uh, it was the year that Golbus got a, a wild card. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, get, I do. 14, he played Ilya Marchenko uh, yeah. first first round, huge crowd, late at night. He, uh, he lost to um, Marchenko. He and I had never interacted before. He looks up at me in the third set, uh, and he says, he points at me, and he says, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he says, court, shit. <laughs> I mean, not, he, he wasn't wrong. I don't know if they changed it, but it was very, it was very wavy. It was wavy before. Yeah. It was, it was up in the mountainous part of Vancouver. Yes. So there was a little bit of altitude. And I remember the, the pen balls that were very light and bouncy. So if you're a little off, you're really off there. And the courts, uh, yeah, they were a little uneven. Yeah, <laughs> that that baseline. Yeah, the baseline. I've never quite made such a spectacle as him or made it as entertaining <laughs> in my complaining of it. But yeah, he, he's onto something there. Now I think they're a little better now. I, that's what I've heard. Yeah. I haven't been up there in a couple of years. And my, one of my favorite coffee spots is up there in Vancouver, nowhere near the yeah. courts blends. Blends is good. Yeah. You, you can't really go wrong with that. Just fantastic. I'm yeah. And then there's plenty of uh, good local spots as well. Yes. That's what I've heard. Vancouver's pretty hipstery. We've got like a mix of your, your big city life in the Pacific Northwest hipster style. So you can definitely find a lot of like microbreweries, a lot of good coffee shops. And then on top of it, like you said, blends is just, you can't go wrong. With I that. mean, with your haircut, you have to walk around <laughs> with, it's just, I don't know, a, a local IPA in your hand at all times. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan, but uh, a little disclaimer about my haircut is I came here and I wanted a, a little bit different. And uh, he brought up, a big, high, 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 uh, Miami style and, and shaved off about half of what I wanted to keep. So I wasn't very happy about it at first, but oh, it's goodness. growing in a little bit. Uh, Philip, I, I think I speak for Noah as well. Um, I, I hope to see you at some challengers and, and beyond very soon. Uh, tennis is a much better place when you are, you are there and at that level, you are a fun watch, uh, and always a great personality to have around. So, uh, I, I hope we see you there very soon and get healthy. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm pretty much there. I just have to, uh, run out the next couple of days and I should be okay. 
The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at NoahRubin33, at MikeCTennis, and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.